the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG, and I'm Eric Clayton. As a writer of spiritual nonfiction, I often wonder, do any of these seemingly random stories, these anecdotes and details and bits of personal history, matter to anyone but me? What good is all this storytelling doing for other people? After all, the goal of good spiritual nonfiction isn't to be another entry in a personal diary. It's meant to help all people glimpse something new of their own spirituality. My guest today helps us tackle this question and many more. Christine Marie Eberly is the author of two books of daily meditations based on her own true personal stories. She sees her personal mission like this. She passionately connects spirituality, scripture, and everyday life. And with 26 years of experience as a campus minister under her belt, not to mention her current work as a retreat leader, it's clear she has a wealth of stories to draw from to live out this mission. Her latest book, Finding God Abiding from Woodhall Press, drops us into these personal, at times humorous, at times heartbreaking, stories from her life. And it is through the utterly specific details of her life that we are drawn closer to God in our own. After all, God deals with us in specifics, not in the abstract. My conversation with Christine is all about Ignatian storytelling, what it means to tell and share stories from the tradition of Ignatian spirituality. I hope you find something in this conversation that helps you explore your story in a new way, and maybe share it with others. Christine Eberly, welcome to AMDG. Thank you, Eric. It's great to be here. We're so happy to have you, and I'm really excited because we're going to talk about something that's very near and dear to my heart, which is writing and Ignatian spirituality. So two things, really. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's get into it. You know, you have this this uh, this great new book that that's that's coming out very soon. Um, but before we really talk about the book, I want to talk about in general your approach to writing. You're a writer. Uh, you're you're an Ignatian spiritual practitioner. Um, so tell us a little bit about what got you into writing. Well, here's where I should back up and say that I have always, always, always been a writer. I cannot remember a time when I was not writing. Um, my dad saved my earliest submitted for publication writing, which was when I was around six and wrote a play of the week for the PBS TV show Zoom. Um, I like to call it a terribly spelled brief tragedy about a root vegetable. Um, <laughs> it's called the story of Tommy Carrot. Somebody picked him and he died. <laughs> So, oh, wow. You know, there you Real go. Spoiler um, alert. Right. <laughs> I don't know why Zoom didn't pick me right up. Um, so I've, I've always been writing, um, you know, went to college as an English major, went to St. Joe's as an English major, but got involved in campus ministry and picked up theology as a double major and wound up spending 26 years working as a campus minister in higher education. Um, where I did, you know, lots of writing, um, but this whole having two books in the world thing, that is a much more recent phenomenon. So it sounds like, you know, writing has always been key to how you express yourself. And mm -hmm. I imagine also how you kind of relate to God, right? If your th theology is in your background, um, can you talk a little bit about that? How writing uh, is prayer or writing is a way of, of finding God and, and, and certainly how it brings us into some of the themes of your books. Absolutely. I am a pretty devoted journal keeper. 
by which I don't mean like, dear diary, here's what I did today. Um, but usually, you know, once a week, a couple times a week, I, I prayer in the morning will find me in my rocking chair and at some point will pick up the journal and start to write. Sometimes I'm addressing myself, sometimes I'm addressing God, but it, it really becomes the place where I am working through what I'm praying with, realizations that I'm coming to, things I want to remember, quotes I want to hang on to. Um, you know, those, and now there's a, you know, a vast collection of journals in a big box under my bed that I still haven't decided what's going to happen to when I die, but <laughs> that's on my to-do list. You have time. You have time. Hope so. <laughs> what, um, so for folks, I mean, I also journal, I'm, I'm, it doesn't sound like I'm quite as, uh, as, as good at it as you are, uh, or committed to it as you are, but I, I know for me, because um, I think sometimes folks get intimidated by the idea of journaling, um, and certainly as you know, prayer, and then and then you know it adds a, a layer of pressure to the prayer experience, and then probably makes it less prayerful. I know for me at least, I'll I'll, I'll say um, th there's sometimes a point in my prayer where I say I got to get this down, and it almost sounds like a like a an anchor point mm -hmm. that I can kind of cling to and then reach up to the next thing right um you know and i've always heard you know you uh, just in general we learn right we you know we learn by listening by by writing by reading like like you you increase the amount that's going to stick in your mind right the more you you engage with these different facets of learning so so how is it for you how, how do you get to a point where you say oh this is this needs to be written down this is something that that i i need in word, word form and then what do you do with it after that you know, besides put it under your bed in journal form <laughs> right. Well, I mean, some of the things really are just, you know, me capturing my ongoing internal monologue. But I think the kind of thing you're talking about, if, especially if we're going to talk about Ignatian storytelling, when I have done, say, on a, you know, eight day Ignatian retreat, prayer of the imagination with, you know, Mary and Martha, for example, I know you talk about Mary and Martha in your book. Um, I can remember praying with them and and really having to discipline myself not to write it down until the prayer is over, you know, mm. to, to, to not be kind of scripting, to not have it be like an act of like playwriting mm. um, while I'm trying to have it be prayer, you know. And so I, I sort of believe that anything worth remembering <laughs> I'm going to be able to recall in the hour afterwards, yeah. you know, and so really sort of try to push it back until and make the writing a separate act. Do you find that you discover new things then in the writing? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, one, one fun thing that I did on my, my last retreat at Wernersville mm. um, was I've always done Martha. I do these dramatic interpretations of women in scripture. And I've always done the Mary Martha incident from Martha's perspective. But in my last retreat at Warnersville, I prayed with it from Mary's perspective. And it was a whole different experience. Uh, and in, in the writing out of that, and you know, now I can do both of those monologues, I can even do them, I've even done them back to back um, to be able to kind of garner those new experience, new perspectives and insights from Mary has been really cool many of yeah. which came during the prayer, but some of which, of course, get clearer in the fleshing out in writing. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly right, right? It kind of crystallizes, at least mm-hmm. for me. I don't want to speak for you, but for me, there's an idea of, of the prayers being kind of crystallized and, and moving out of like, you know, kind of the spiritual realm in some ways into a very concrete, um, you know, ink and paper realm, uh, which is something you can touch and see and, and very clearly look back to. Right. And I don't know if it's like this for everybody, but I feel like I don't really understand something until I have captured it in just the right words. Mm. I I know you can ask my wife. I feel like I don't always uh, I'm not able to explain something unless I'm I'm uh, or an idea unless I have time to sit down and write it. I feel Mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm like, no, is this going to be great? And what are you talking about? And then once it's written, like, oh, okay, now I understand. So speaking about writing things down, let's talk about your book, Finding God sure. Abiding. Um, you know, and it's it's just beautiful compendium, really, of 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 these stories, and they're beautiful, but they're very ordinary, um, which I think is 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 key. So can you tell us a little bit about how you arrived at these stories, kind of the ordinary stuff of of life, um, and, and how you kind of you know, sort through, uh, you know, what what of your life is worth telling and sharing, and and why and for whom. You know, I think, Eric, in terms of the stories that make it into, that made it into this book and my previous book, Finding God in Ordinary Time, um, it's really kind of an exercise in oral history. These are the stories that I found myself telling over and over again. You know, telling my brother, telling my friends, telling my spiritual director. Um, and, And eventually, those are the stories I mean, obviously, there's some stories I tell over and over that are not bookworthy, um, but things that seem to ha- to be not just for me, but to seem to have some kind of universal insight that could be helpful for someone else is what gets that oral tradition into into writing. When you're thinking about the audience, who you're writing for, right? And you're thinking about the stories that are important and, and they're important for someone else. How do you sort... How do you make sense of, um, oh, this is important. I want to tell it. And more importantly, I want to tell it in a way that's going to be valuable to somebody else. Mm. It has a lot to do with the details, right? The details that you're choosing that might help people uh, relate to the stories. Well, right. Because whenever we're sharing our personal experience, it's just my experience. Um, There's a story in the new book about taking my brother's dog for a walk in Maine Now, there's a lot of people who haven't done any of those things. They don't have a brother. They don't like dogs. They don't know what Maine looks like. Like, Why would they be interested in that story? Except in in stories like that and in the various other stories, I try to find kind of what's the emotional content of the story. Um, What are the, what's the emotional core? What are the common elements that's not dependent on somebody having identical experiences or identical circumstances? So the experience of watching another being be totally free and uninhibited and feel in some kind of way about that. I think a lot of people have had that experience, whether or not they like dogs or have been to Maine. Right. So, so that's, that, is, that is part of what I'm doing. I, I feel like I also really am trying to share experiences of vulnerability, of failure, um, because we can all relate to that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, and again, from my own kind of reflection and my own kind of spiritual writing, um, the idea of vulnerability and specificity go hand in hand, right? You're only able to be as vulnerable 
in the telling of a story as you are specific in sharing well, this is the, the this sinking into those details of this is what happened and the details it doesn't have to be something um you know high and mighty or, or or deep and tragic it could just be you're walking your dog in maine but that specificity of place and time and, and person um i think helps me think oh as you said i don't have a dog but i have a cat and oh like i don't walk my cat outside but I have the experience of, of experience, you know, engaging with my cat or what have you, right? Yeah, uh, watching you know, your cat leap from the refrigerator <laughs> to right, the kitchen right, table, yeah. right? Or onto my yeah. lap in the middle of a podcast recording, you know, like either of right. those things. Yeah. Um, so what, what, how about that? How do you think about vulnerability and specificity as, as connected in, in the writing life and in the storytelling? Oh, I think it is, it is it's so important and it's such a fine line, you know, because you don't want to be an exhibitionist. <laughs> In, of the spiritual life. And yet you have to tell enough that people know that you're being authentic. Um, to, to use an example, I was helping uh, an author friend. I was doing a little beta reading of a, of a friend's book. And there was a story he told about, you know, some kind of embarrassing gaffe that he had made, but he didn't say what it was. And I was like, um, okay, I... I think we need to hear more about this. And, you know, it's probably a little embarrassing to share. And it's going to be a way more powerful story if you find a way to share a bit. So, right. yeah, it's a, it's a fine line. It, it, it's all about the details, right? And, and, and God deals with us in the specific. God deals mm -hmm. with us in the details, right? And so yeah, that's absolutely. how we have to deal with one another. Right. Um, I think, too, kind of another, at least in my observation, another, uh, you know, potential problem area that that kind of gets you into is if you're so specific in your storytelling but you never say kind of what's the story like how does it connect right. to the person you know right. and, and then it becomes a journal entry as opposed to a piece of spiritual writing because spiritual writing should elevate us right to exactly. bring us closer to you know the, the, the you know the mystery of, of life right exactly you know part of where i'm dealing with this challenge um so on my horizon, I know you're recently back from your own Ignatian Camino. And, and I'm going in October um, with a group uh, from the Ignatian Volunteer Corps. Uh, there's a group of us going for th the full 30-day full Camino, Loyola to nice. Barcelona, 300 miles on foot. And Get some good shoes. I seriously, maybe we can talk about that afterwards. Um, <laughs> I will take recommendations. Uh, so I know obviously I'm going to write about this. I, I have a title for the book I'd like to write about it. How's that for hubris? Um, but but the, book, <laughs> the book that I dream of writing about this experience, when I wrote it down, Finding God Along the Way, Lessons for Everyday Life from the Ignatian Camino because the world doesn't need another guide to the Ignatian Camino. There are excellent guides out there. <laughs> um, and my audience is principally people who cannot leave their life for a month, fly to Spain and walk 300 miles. You know, maybe they can't do one of those things. Maybe they can't do any of those things. So why should they buy my book? Um, you know, so I really, I know that I need to be paying attention, even in this very extraordinary once in a lifetime opportunity, I need to be paying attention for what are the things that we can take home that are true if you never leave your hometown? Yeah, no, I, I think you, you actually, what you, you know, you're pointing to a really important you know, part of the writing life, uh, you know, so for, for any writers listening, but it is that idea of, of 
you're 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 telling your story, but it's it's about the the person who's reading it, right? This is about the reader, and and how can you be uh, intentional and and um, and and humble in the face of a reader who is who is coming to you know spend time with your words? You know what what are you going to give them of value that is uh, not just like my like fantastic life, but 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 in fact this is a, a meeting point, you know where where my words meet your your eyes kind of thing. Um, and I think that's, sometimes we forget that. Sometimes as we write, we're like, oh, this is a great story. And, yeah, and we yeah. forget that it, it has, it's, it's more than just my telling. Right. It's for them. It's not, it's not for us. And one thing in my, the structure of my book that helps with that is that my four weeks of daily meditations based on true stories include not only musing on lessons learned, but also questions for personal reflection. So I really try to, to very explicitly connect with people's own lives and, um, in my final chapter, which I won't talk about here because I don't want any spoilers, but <laughs> in the reflection question, I say um, X was such a shocking turn of events that I really can't say, has anything like this ever happened to you? So instead I'll ask, what space has grief carved out in you? In that space, who or what is God inviting you to love? What a great promo for the book! Was such a shocking turn of events, but we don't know what it is. Buy the book. Um, no, it's I chapter twenty eight. So you know, I know. oh read the my whole gosh, thing. yeah, I know, I know. I gotta get back to it. Um, no, I, I mean, uh, yeah, no, and I think that's, I think that's, I love that because it's, it, it's, it's, it's just a, a meeting another person where they are, right? And right. and and um and and or or pulling them up along to where you are, or vice versa, you know, and I think that's as important as we think about spiritual writing. Um I want to talk about the word abiding, which is so important to to the structure of your book, to mm -hmm. the to the title it's the title of your book, obviously. Tell tell us what it means, what it means for you, how you came up with it uh as part of the title. Mm-hmm. I so I love the word abiding. Um on YouTube sometime listen to Audrey Assad's rendition of the song Abide With Me. Gorgeous. Spent a lot of time playing that while I was writing this book. Um, but for me, the abiding is about gratitude. It is about knowing God's faithful engagement with me over time. Um, I have often said that gratitude, which of course is, as probably everybody listening to this podcast knows, the first step in the daily examine, um, gratitude leads to trust, ideally. Um, I've, I don't know who I'm quoting, but I know I read this in a Jan Richardson book. Trust is the simple belief that God has not forgotten the recipe for manna. You know, and if we think about, you know, in the book of Exodus, all those people getting the manna every day, except for the Sabbath, because they got a double portion the day before, for year after year after year. I hope there came a point where they stopped wringing their hands, wondering where their next meal was coming from. They may or may not have, you know, but ideally, if we reflect day after day and year after year about God's presence with us, we will be able to notice that abiding in a way that gives us confidence for the road ahead. I love that. And I, I love, again, the, the idea of gratitude being so key to Ignatian spirituality. Right. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about Ignatian spirituality and storytelling. And, mm -hmm. and how, how do the two go together for you? What, what's, what's, your, what's your answer to that, uh, that combo? <laughs> um, well, 
I mean, so, I mean, first of all, just Ignatius's advice in the exercises that we immerse ourselves in the stories of scripture as he immersed himself in the stories of scripture and the stories of saints. I mean, that's just a, a foundational Ignatian spiritual practice. Um, you know, I think that, so, so in my book, I say that one of the pitfalls we can fall into is imagining ourselves in the, as the main character in someone else's story. Um, mm. You write a bit about that as well. Um, or even mistakenly identifying ourselves as the hero or the victim or the martyr of our own, you know, and spending enough time with those stories that, that we're able to put them into perspective. And, and I find that one of the things that is essential but hard to get my head around um, is that, you know, as, as we know through the exercises, I am infinitely precious and loved and precisely no more precious and loved than any other human being on the face of this earth that ever was or ever will be. Right. <laughs> um, right. it's, a, it's a little mind blowing. And how do, how do we hold those two things together? Um, which again is, is part of the reason why I, even though my storytelling is mostly about me, some of these stories are, you know, encounters with other people or stories that other people have told me. Um, but I've, I've got to keep getting myself out of the center. That's actually a, a Pope Francis phrase that I've just recently encountered, decentering ourselves. I love that. Um, and, for, and, and for me and my storytelling, I have to keep reminding myself, I'm not that interesting. Um, you know, people aren't reading my stuff or coming to my retreats because, you know, I do. That's the other thing I do is, is you know, retreats and public speaking. They're, they're not coming to learn about me, you know, any more than they are going to a fine restaurant to watch someone else eat. Right. Um, mm. You know, they're, they're hungry, but they're hungry to understand what God is doing in their life. And so my goal in talking about what God is doing in my life is to just like put out a little sampler platter, you know, to help them understand their own, yeah. which is as far as I can push that metaphor. <laughs> I mean, I, I love the idea of going to a restaurant and watching someone else eat. That sounds like a terrible, terrible evening. <laughs> right, right. And then I thought, well, we do watch cooking shows, but even that's sort of with the intention of doing it ourselves at some point. True. Yeah, it's true. Now, I mean, again, it gets back to, can I help someone else see see their stories reflected in mine? Right. right. That's how I approach it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like, mm -hmm. yeah, here's my like string of ordinary events um, in a couple interesting ones, maybe. Um, but but can those you know, in those moments, right, we believe God is in all things present intimately in the nitty gritty details. So if you can if I can point to where God is in, in my you know, random stories, the man, like you might be able to as well. Uh, and I think that's, right. that's the invitation. It's a challenge, right? Well, and I have told you that I love your weekly emails that Great you plug. send out. Great plug, Christine, right in the right, right in the right moment. Sure. <laughs> happy to, happy to. But, but what I love now, I mean, you have, you have two little kids and a day job. I don't have children. And I don't even have a day job anymore. Um, so, you know, when you s launch into a story about your daughters and your Legos, um, there's on one level, nothing about that that I'm going to be able to relate to. But I'm going to I know that I'm going to enjoy the story and that you're going to say something in the course of that story that's going to make me 
search for the parallel in my own life. Right. And you said it earlier, right? Like you're, we're pointing to emotions and emotions point to values, mm-hmm. you know? So if mm-hmm. I can, you know, people giggle or chuckle at my silly stories about cats and sloths and hedgehogs and stuff, um, then that's, that's great. But if we can, if we can together kind of dig deeper into well, what's the shared value, what's the thing here um, and how we feel about it, right? Again, like you're, it's back to your dog in Maine on a walk, um, you know, with your brother scenario. Um, you know, I think that's really where, you know, where, where it all kind of comes home to roost. Yeah. You know? We're just, we're just modeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know we, we've talked, you and I've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the experience of, of helping people tell their stories of tragedy while also helping them realize uh, that they're more than the most tragic moments in their lives. And I know obviously you've, you've done this as a campus minister and, and, and you've thought about it a lot in your kind of writing and retreat work. Can you share some of the, uh, the takeaways there and why it's important? Cause I, I think, um, you know, too often we get, we get stuck either in, um, the tragic moment is is me, is my whole identity, or I have no tragic moment, so I have no story or no identity, <laughs> right. right? Right, right. So I want to come at this from, from two directions, but let's start with the, the students. So I was a campus minister for, minister for 26 years. I helped a lot of students write retreat talks. Yeah, I'm sure you um, did. Yeah, and but here's all the bad things that happened to me, or even here's this terrible thing that happened to me is not a retreat talk. Right. Um, you know, and so I came up with this and I love a good analogy. And here's the one I came up with a diamond ring. Okay. The person's personal experience is the gem. It is the diamond, but you don't walk around trying to balance a diamond on the back of your hand. You know, a diamond needs, you know, a diamond ring needs a gem and it needs prongs and it needs a band. And so the, the experience is the gem, the reflection on the experience. What did this teach me? How did this change me? That's the prongs that holds it together. And the connection to other people's experience is the band that allows us to slip this off our finger and put it on somebody else's. That's a great image. It's a it, really th- helpful image. Thank you. I love that image. I, I am not sure that the students loved it as much as you do. But oh, well, they're lost. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, sometimes they did. So, that, so that's, that's one, one thought. The, the other way I think about this, or the, the person that I use to think about this, is my grandmother. Okay, One of the things I love about our books both coming out in the same season is that we both write a lot about our grandmothers. Um, yeah. You know, you've got a grandmother chapter. I've got a grandmother chapter. My book is de- dedicated to my grandmother, Mary so Florence Riley. Yeah, is it really? <laughs> yeah. I missed that. Everyone needs a grandmother chapter in their book. I mean, that's seriously, just, that's just yes. good writing. Yes. Um, you know, and you went through both of yours in one book. I may still have another grandmother story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, so here, let me tell you the story of my grandmother one way. She was a 32-year-old mother with two little girls. I'm guessing kind of close to your age? Yeah. Ish? Okay, 32-year-old mother, two little girls. Her 17-year-old baby brother was killed in World War II. All her brothers fought. Only the baby was killed. When she was a 41-year-old mother of three now grade school girls, she had an infant son who died of crib death Hmm. in the dining room while more than half the family was in the room with him. He just quietly slipped away. When she was a 56-year-old grandmother of two, she took care of her own mother, who had a very brutal death from breast cancer. 
And six weeks later, her husband, my grandfather, came in from a run and dropped dead on the living room floor in front of her. She outlived him by more than 40 years. Wow. At 70, she broke her hip. At 80, she developed Alzheimer's and she died at 97 in the home of her youngest daughter and her family. Okay. Now, I tell the story that way and you think, ye gods, what a tragic life. This is awful. Let me tell you the story of my grandmother a different way. She was one of the kindest and most cheerful people I ever knew. When I was a kid, she was so much fun. I would go for sleepovers at her house. She would get every one of her pairs of shoes, all high heels, by the way, and bring them down to the living room so we could play shoe store. Um, her kitchen always had Milano's and pretzels and ice cream and these big lollipops. Um, she would take me on roller coasters at the boardwalk because I was an only kid at the time, an only child. She got a driver's license in her 60s and played chauffeur for her grandkids. <laughs> she loved to take people out to dinner. And she would always say, if she was buying, she would say, now get something you really want. Because she knew there was a chance we would be like, oh, no, no, I'll just have a vegetable lasagna. You know, <laughs> when we were really like salivating for the prime rib, a thing I have never done, but whatever. Um, <laughs> And she was forever slipping a $20 bill into a grandchild's pocket. I mean, just that was her thing. To the point where once she was deep into Alzheimer's, my cousin John, whose family she lived with at the time, he said that she began slipping 20s into his pocket so regularly that he began slipping them back into her handbag so that the same four or five twenty dollar bills just kept making the circuit <laughs> it was a hundred dollars constantly on the move <laughs> making the rounds making the rounds um so which story is true you know mm. they both are you have to tell it whole because the string of tragedies that marked my grandmother's life um don't they're not as powerful if you don't know what kind of person she became anyway. And the delightful person that she was is not as moving if you don't know how much sorrow undergirded it. So yeah, we, we gotta find a way to tell the story whole and to help other people do the same. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. It's a really helpful uh, story uh, example. And I mean, yeah, I think, you know, as we think of the highs and lows of our life, at the end of the day, what, what people want to hear about is how we grappled with them, right? right. How we, how we you know, muddled on uh, all the same. Um, yeah, I think that's really, that's really helpful. Last question. I, I, um, I think it's kind of a big, bigger question, but I, I want to talk a little bit about, um, we've both written about kind of the role that service play has played, right, in our yeah. development and our formation. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm tr intrigued, you know, you've, you've written about kind of the reframing of, of service trips, service immersion trips as working pilgrimages. And again, that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's language, that's, that's a story uh, it's, that's told just in how you frame something. So why, why is that important? How we how we engage with service or think about service, the framing, why is that important? And, and what were you hoping to, uh, you know, give us the context. What, what were you hoping to achieve? Right, right. Well, I mean, it, it came about, it, we started using that phrase when I was working at Westchester University's Newman Center and we were taking students on these service trips to Mexico City over winter break. And we never did as much manual labor as the students wanted to do or at least as much manual labor as they said they wanted to do. 
Right. You know? <laughs> mm. um, you know, and for, and for several years, they came home kind of frustrated and disappointed that the pastor we were working with hadn't given them enough to do. And I talked to the pastor about that. And, and he said, basically, like, Mexicans have a stereotype in their brains about Americans. And God knows Americans have stereotypes in their brain about Mexicans. And this was 20 years ago. Um, and he said the, the most important thing we can do there is encounter people, meet people, talk to each other, see how they're living, see what's important to them. You know, how did they celebrate? How do they pray? What are their sacred sites? What do they value? That encounter where, where we go home and we talk about them and they talk about us after we leave, to him, that was so much more valuable than any, you know, water-based paint we could slap on a chapel. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and it's all about that, uh, you know, what, what are the stories we're leaving with, right? Stories we're taking home, stories we're leaving people with. And so right. I guess final, 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 final question for real <laughs> time. How do you, how do you encourage others, right, to know and share their stories? What's your, what's your tip for, uh, to leave listeners with here? Well, I, I really hope that, that modeling, whether in my, you know, my books, my blog posts, my talks on retreat, whatever, modeling the goodness of the ordinary experiences of life, the goodness of our ordinary stories, and, in, and inviting people through my reflection questions, again, whether in writing or in person, to mine their own experiences for stories of God's abiding love. Um, that's that's what, I, what I really hope to do. My tagline that I use in my promotional stuff is connecting spirituality, scripture, and everyday life. And that is what I'm always, always, always trying to do. Nice. Where can people find your book, Christine? All right, coming out, Finding God Abiding, coming out June 7th, 2022, courtesy of Woodhall Press. Um, they can just Google that, or they can go to my website, which is hmm, christinemarieeberly.com, but there's hyphens between my, the Christine and the Marie and the Marie and the Eberly. <laughs> Sorry about that. We'll but, put a link in the show notes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But um, yes, they can. There's still time to pre-order depending on when this drops. And, uh, and yeah, I'm happy to get a signed personalized copy in the mail. Awesome. Christine, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you'll come back again. Thank you, Eric. Hope so. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. and occasionally in my basement. This episode was edited by me, Eric Clayton, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Mike Lasky, Marcus Bleach, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits at Jesuits.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Get weekly email reflections by visiting Jesuits.org weekly. If you or someone you know would like to learn more about becoming a Jesuit or Jesuit life in general, connect with your local vocations promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And as St. Ignatius may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.